Welcome to the Ether. Today is Thursday, January 12th, 2023. Today on the Ether, Cointelegraph hosts private blockchains and achieving mass adoption with Shade Protocol. Let's take a listen. What is up, everybody? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are tuning in from, glad to have you here for another Twitter space hosted by Cointelegraph. And this guest that we're having up today is a, it's going to be an incredible panel. This is a, a really, really interesting topic in this space. We're talking with Shade Protocol. We're going to be talking about their products. We're going to be talking about the existing landscape of the industry we're in. What are we looking at? What did we see? What's coming up for this year? We're also going to be looking kind of deeper into the, to the ethos of, of what Shade Protocol is pushing for. So really excited to get this underway going to bring some of our other panelists up on stage here and we can get it going awesome i see we got carter up here we got the shade account what is up hope you are both doing great looks like we got fisco in the audience as well or we did just miss them yeah fisco is going to be one of the yeah one of the speakers so the shade main account myself and fisco um shade account won't be talking but if anyone wants to Follow the account throughout the Twitter space because they're excited about what we're doing. That'll be uh, easily there to access. Perfect. Perfect. Um, that sounds great. I'm going to pin a tweet from uh, your profile as well. At the top, anyone can click right through and you could go check it out. Awesome. Alrighty. So I know we saw, Carter, I know we saw uh, Fisco in the audience before. Should we give him an, another sec just to get up on, on stage? Sure, give him like 60 seconds, and if he's having connection issues, we'll just kick things off regardless. Perfect. I'm behind the Shade account one right now. Oh, never mind. I take it back. He's on the Shade account. We're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. We're here. We're here. Fantastic. Fantastic. Amazing. Awesome. Well, I know a few more people, I'm sure, will be stumbling in, some listeners, but I think with our panel here, we could probably get it going, at least with some introductions. Um, again. For anyone who's tuning in right now, thank you so much for stopping by. Really appreciate it. And you're absolutely here for a treat for a really interesting conversation with, with an awesome group of people. Really excited to get into this. Um, up here with me, we have the Shade Protocol team, a few members from there. And I would love to just get maybe a little intro from yourself, Carter and Fisco. And then maybe we can kind of liaison into there into a little more about Shade. But would love to just kind of get a little background on, on both of you and, and what brought you into the space. Yeah, absolutely. So my journey actually started back in 2017. I guess I'm up to six years in the, the industry at this point slash uh, being a participant. Way back in 2017, I had a family member that was in TradFi that introduced me to blockchain and crypto. And so I started reading as much of the materials out there as I could, bought all the books that, that were out there. And throughout the time, I realized that most of the literature was pretty terribly written. It was either way too tech focused or way too investment focused. And so I spent uh, three years writing and researching a book called Building Confidence in Blockchain. And during that journey of writing that book, uh, as I was really digging into the attribute and the value proposition of blockchain, became very apparent to me that there's no privacy anywhere. You have all these totally transparent blockchains and how are we going to be able to bridge Web3 back to our everyday lives if there's not even like parity on the privacy front? You do have uh, privacy in your everyday life for, for various different financial transactions. And so that's where I found uh, Seeker Network, this beautiful tech stack 
based out of the Cosmos ecosystem, the Internet of Blockchains, if you guys have heard about that ecosystem. And Secret Network um, went live in 2020. I helped uh, write the uh, gray paper for Secret Network, worked with the protocol team, and we started to pull together a team of builders to build out an entire private um, privacy-preserving DeFi ecosystem on top of these private smart contracts that Secret Network had launched. And so, yeah, it's been an awesome journey, and we're we're here to solve the the, the privacy problem. Yeah, that's that's my intro. Fantastic intro, love it. <laughs> no, that's great, and it's it's really helpful to hear a bit more about your background. Really interesting to hear about the the book that you wrote as well. That's that's really cool. Um, Fisco, I'm going to kick it over to you. Could we get a little intro from you? What brought you into the space? Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, Fisco here. So I worked for several years in the NGO space, actually, as a project manager. And I worked for this huge nonprofit conglomerate. And I was into crypto kind of on the side as a hobbyist. And it was more so on the investment side of things as something that I just found to be fun. And I never really considered deeply that it could be a like future of currency until I stumbled upon what Shade Protocol was doing. And I was super excited about the privacy aspects, the conglomeration of all of these different DeFi applications into one token. And over over the course of a, of a little while, being involved in their community and reaching out to the core team, I ended up getting pulled on to do partnerships. And it's been it's been great to see a lot of these skills that I picked up in more traditional industries come and start to transfer over to the Web3 space. And I think there's a lot of things that we've seen growing as Web3 has become more and more of a of a business focused focused uh, industry. But that's a little bit of my background there. Very cool. Very cool. No, thank you, Fisco. I always think it's interesting too to just see where folks come in from. You said you came from the NGO space. I I came from the engineering, energy engineering. So you know, there's so many different people in the space that come from all sorts of backgrounds that bring us together for for this. So it's cool stuff. Really appreciate the intros. And now to get into the good and meaty stuff, right? <laughs> but um, I also just want to note to the audience that we're going to be taking some questions. We want to hear from you. This is a, a great team that we have up here with a really interesting product and mission. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have any questions, make sure you request. Once we get to that time, we'll bring you up on stage. Also, if you didn't want to come up on stage, drop a question in the thread. We'll read them from there too. So stay engaged and we're excited to get this going. So there's a few things that were I heard thrown out here. We you know we heard obviously protocol, um, privacy, blockchain things like that. Carter, could you start with just you know a basic understanding of what is Shade Protocol and what are the products that make up the components that make up Shade Protocol? Absolutely. So Shade Protocol aspires to be this super super app. Of, of applications, of DeFi applications. We want the user to be able to come to a single website and meet all of the, the their, their key needs. We want you to be able to trade. We want you to be able to lend. We want you to be able to transfer uh, your, your assets. We want you to be able to participate in a bonds market, um, staking derivatives. All these key DeFi primitives that we've all come to love, we want to give that simplified UI UX experience but we also want privacy fundamentally baked into, into each of those, those primitives. And so what Shade Protocol is, it's, it's a series of smart contracts on top of Seeker Network, which is a, the layer one that we build on, on top of. Um, you can think of this similar to like Ethereum is the blockchain that Uniswap builds on top of, right? And Uniswap is a set of smart contracts on Ethereum. In the same way, Shade Protocol is a set of smart contracts built on top of Seeker Network, which is the tech stack that gives the privacy to the, the applications that, that we're building. Got it. That's, I think that is a good introduction there. My, my follow-up that I'm thinking of, though, is from your perspective, from the Shade perspective, do you see that your ecosystem is fit for a particular individual in the space? Do you see it more for larger entities? Um, is there a value prop really for either one of them? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the really powerful DeFi use case I always like to give everyone is lending. Right now on Ethereum with MakerDAO, you, you lock up your collateral, you mint out a stable coin, and you have a liquidation price point. 
sitting out there, floating out there, publicly queryable for, for anyone to see. And right now, we have these institutions opening up these smart contract lending positions with their liquidation price point completely publicly visible. And what this opens the doors to is people attempting to push markets, manipulate markets to cause kind of guaranteed cascading liquidations because of this totally transparent uh, like lending product, right? And so an example of like why privacy is valuable is we're going to have a lending market where individuals and their and their lending positions are are private. There's a there's a total like it's it's equitable across the line. Whether you're like a small participant or a massive institution, your liquidation price point is protect, protected. Another example separate from from lending, which that one's huge, is the trading side of things right now. A huge percentage of volume in crypto, it's it's like I think it's in the 70 percentile of like on-chain interactions is minor extractable value. Um, we essentially in, in the modern age of web three, people are reordering reordering blocks, reordering transactions to attempt to extract guaranteed guaranteed profit from essentially users that, that don't know any better. And if you can launch uh, you know, a set of like a decentralized exchange that has privacy, um, you're able to sidestep the MEV, MEV problem in the sense that people can't parse through the mempool and, and front run trades because the trade information is kept, is kept private, right? So in summary, if you compare Shade Protocol and its apps to any of the Ethereum products out there, we're protecting information that is ultimately valuable to the users of these financial applications. Got it. I think that that's that's a fantastic explanation. I think that's really important to understand where it and who it comes back to, because um, it's not it, 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 at least for me exactly how you think of how it benefits, but it certainly makes sense in in how you're explaining it in the multiple scenarios. Now, I want to just expand a little bit because you mentioned something about um, stable coins. Could you go in a bit more detail on Shade Stablecoin and, you know, just kind of is, is, are there things that make it different than other stablecoins out there? Yeah, absolutely. So but before I specifically zoom in on like the value of Silk at the stablecoin, which is the flagship mm-hmm. stablecoin product of Shade Protocol, I kind of want to talk about the problems with current stablecoin. So fantastic. The, the question is, why haven't stablecoins fully integrated into our everyday lives and into our businesses. There's, 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 there's a variety of answers, but one of, one of the key problems is that privacy. If you, if you go to you know, the grocery store and you, you, don't, you, know, you purchase your groceries, the cashier doesn't know how much money you have in your bank account, right? And so the problem is right now in crypto without privacy, I can't actually go and, and buy something with crypto because if the person on the other end is savvy enough, they could go on a block explorer, figure out how much wealth I hold. And that's a distinct, that's a, that's a security threat. Or if I'm a business and I'm trying to send out payments to my employees or to my contractors, or I'm trying to close a business deal and the payments are done through a transparent blockchain, everyone can snoop on that metadata, right? Imagine I'm a business that is selling products on chain. Um, my competitor could snoop on that on-chain data. They could figure out exactly who is buying my product, when they're buying the product, which product it is, and for, and, and for how much, right? So there's, there's, there's a huge problem in Web3 right now that we cannot integrate sufficiently with, with commerce without a degree of auditable privacy, without a degree of privacy that also has a path to compliance. And so the stablecoin... As, as a product is incredible, right? We have this world of volatility in crypto. We need assets where we can park and store our value. But if we want those assets to bridge beyond this little niche of decentralized finance, if we want it to bridge beyond the Uniswaps and the MakerDAOs and, and our, 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 our different products out there, if we want it to bridge back to everyday lives, you have to have privacy. And so that is, that's where Silk comes in. It's a privacy-preserving stablecoin it's fast, it's scalable. And another, another unique property of Silk, because we, we, we didn't want to just settle for just adding, adding in a stablecoin with auditable privacy. 
we saw that everyone out there keeps launching these dollar stable coins over and over and over again, right? You have like your 10, 15 different variations of dollar stable coins. And as a protocol, we, we found that there is a degree of cognitive dissonance there, right? How can we say that we're launching truly decentralized you know, currencies or stable coins when they're pegged to centralized monetary systems? There's, there's a cognitive dissonance there that we, that we couldn't get over. So Silk is really unique because not only does it have that privacy, but it actually is pegged to and tracks a basket of global currencies and commodities. So if you hold Silk, you're essentially in a, holding a perpetual hedge against uh, global volatility. An example you could give is choosing to hold the S&P 500 um, stock, like an index stock versus holding you know, just Tesla stock. So this would be like the currency example of that. Instead of holding just the US dollar or just the euro, what if you could hold a currency that was an aggregate of all the key world currencies, of all the key world commodities, and it had privacy, and it was permissionless, and it was decentralized? That would be truly revolutionary. And you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin really solved kind of the, the scarcity problem of a currency, but it didn't solve the volatility problem. And so if, if Silk you know, this flagship product for Shade is able to pull that off, then we've done something truly special. That's really, really interesting stuff to hear. And thank you for going into a bit more detail. You bring up a lot of great points about just the existing conditions and climate of this industry right now, the products and tech that are available, how that's applicable and used in everyday life. And I guess the real better question is why is it not as applicable and used in everyday life? So it's it's really helpful to hear that side of it, um, especially as it relates to Silk, the stablecoin for Shade Protocol. So, you know, just diving a little deeper on that too. Previously, you know, we were talking, you're talking about the stablecoin Silk, you're talking about the different uh, mechanisms on Shade Protocol with Shade Swap and Stable Swap. Um, could we talk a little bit more about those now that we're talking about Silk as well and just, you know, the use of it on um, Shade Protocol? how someone would get involved in that too. Absolutely. So it's, it's been really interesting to see the decentralized exchange landscape evolve over time. Essentially what a lot of decentralized exchanges have done is they've forced their governance token to be the primary pairing asset. And then everything kind of gets routed through that gov token. People mm -hmm. are forced to buy the gov token in order to liquidity provide. Right. But right. we kind of, we kind of looked at that model and said, it seems like you're forcing liquidity providers to take on like significantly more risk to be able to create a market, right? And so for a shade swap, right out of the gates, the, the biggest differentiator is that it has its own stable coin as the center point and centerpiece for, for routing and liquidity. And so this means for liquidity providers, instead of holding, you know, a volatile gov token for the majority of pairs on the decks. Instead, you have this, this, this beautiful, stable asset at the center of the decentralized exchange. That means deeper liquidity. It means less impermanence loss risk. And it means more efficient spending of emissions by the protocol to attract TVL. So that's differentiator number one. Stablecoin at the center of the decks that the protocol also owns. So that's a revenue stream, which is, which is great. The second differentiator is that ShadeSwap is launching uh, staking derivatives at the at the centerpiece of, of this dex. Now, for Ethereum users, you've probably just started to heard like hear about staking derivatives on Ethereum, Lido, those types of products. But in the you know Cosmos ecosystem, all the different layer one blockchains here have been proof of stake for the last for multiple years, right? Ethereum just made its transition, used to be proof of work. Now there's this kind of concept of of, of staking, and now this idea of staking derivatives have emerged and what a staking derivative is, is instead of like being locked, locked up, like you lock your collateral up, you're passively earning yield. Um, the problem with that is you can't actually like use your locked up collateral. It's kind of just stuck there while you're staking. And so what a staking derivative is, it's essentially like a receipt that says, hey, I own that staking position over there. That staking position is locked up, but like I have ownership of it. And what staking derivatives are is all these different receipts being traded around that are claims on staking position. Because ultimately that receipt and that claim on that collateral 
is still very valuable and it represents yield being generated over time. And so in Cosmos, because staking is a huge deal, most of the you know, staking derivative products haven't fully emerged yet. And what that means is these decentralized exchanges, they're putting non-yield bearing assets um, on these decentralized exchanges to be traded. But the problem is liquidity providers then have to, they have to make a choice. They have to make a choice. Do I, do I stake my asset and, and earn yield? Or do I choose to not stake and instead become a liquidity provider with the non-yield bearing version of the asset, if that makes sense? And so for straight shade swap, differentiator number two is we have staking derivatives at the center of the decks, which means all the liquidity providers, when they're, when they're liquidity providing their capital, they're passively earning yield um, from all the different uh, staking mechanisms. All the different networks tied to those staking derivatives are passively earning them yield while they're liquidity providing. So that means they're earning not only trading fees, right? Not only liquidity providing rewards, but their, their assets that they're putting up as, as capital in the, liquidity, in the liquidity pool is also passively accruing staking yield. So that's kind of, that's kind of a, a world's first to have those staking derivatives as the centerpiece. Liquidity providers are happier because they don't have to give up staking yield because they're, they're already accruing it passively. And we really believe that staking derivatives are kind of the future of, of tradable, tradable assets. The third difference for ShadeSwap beyond Silk being at the center of it and derivatives being at the center of it is those privacy preserving tokens. All of those assets on Secret Network, all the different uh, tokens that are being traded, all have privacy, transactional privacy uh, baked into them. And it's really unique in the Cosmos ecosystem. I don't know if we've heard of IBC before, but you know, there's 50 plus blockchains in Cosmos at this point, and everyone's using the same communication protocol. Um, and so users are able to seamlessly bridge in their assets into the Shade DeFi suite. And that, that level of interoperability that Cosmos brings, that Seeker Network brings, is, is super powerful for the DeFi suite. That is all really, really interesting to hear from you know, a high-level standpoint. It, it sounds like there's a lot of ways, one, to be involved in Shade Protocol and play a different role within the ecosystem. Um, and definitely some differentiating factors there. For anyone in the audience here who's just wanting to get like a bit more details or learn even more about that, what would you recommend from them, Carter? Is, is the website the place to go for something like that? Yeah, shadeprotocol.io is a great place. It's a kind of an informational rundown of the different products. Um, there's also the docs on the website. Be sure to take a look at those. Those are like the really, really big deep dive. And mm -hmm. be sure to follow Shade Protocol on Twitter and be sure to check out the, the white paper on the website. And finally, join the Discord. The team is, is super accessible on Telegram and Discord to answer any and all questions. We, we love engaging. Um, we, we, we welcome it and we celebrate question asking. Fantastic. Fantastic. Love to hear it. Thank you for that info. Um, I'm going to move along here and just a heads up to the audience. I think we'll get in, <clears throat> excuse me, another, another question or two here before we turn it over to any audience questions, then we'll jump back into it. So if you're thinking of any questions for the team about privacy, about shape protocol, about blockchain, about the space in general, hit that request button and then we'll get you up on stage in just a moment here to ask a question for the team. But before we get into that, I do want to take it back. We were, bring, we were bringing some light to it earlier and Carter, you were bringing up really, you know, issues that are present in the space. You know, can you take that and maybe make a boilerplate like one-to-one -one of you know, these are some of the problems that we see in the space at large. This is what Shade is doing to combat those problems and offer solutions. Absolutely. So I think the, the obvious one from the last couple of years is, is, this, is sustainability. And essentially, um, sustainability and UI UX. Here, here's what I mean about that. So right now in DeFi, Let's say you go to some new L1 ecosystem. Let's say it's Solana, right? You, you roll up there and you have your, you know, your four or five decentralized exchanges, all your different NFT platform. You have your different lending platforms, your perps, your options, right? And it's, like, it's very fractured from a user perspective to enter into an ecosystem and find all the different, just even just to find the standalone products and websites tied to that L1 ecosystem, right? But it... But it gets worse than that. 
because each one of those platforms, each one of those apps have their own token, right? So you end up with this really fractured ecosystem for users. You get really fractured liquidity. And it also like, like that, it, it hurts the sustainability of the products, right? So how Shape Protocol solves this is we have a very simple rule. Every time we launch a new application, no new token is launched for it. So when, when we launch ShadeSwap, when we launch Lending, we launch Silk, there isn't some standalone new governance token for each one. And instead, all of the value accrual as we continue to launch applications go back to one single token, right? And that's Shade, the governance token, treasury token. And, and the beautiful part of this type of simple rule then is everything's unified. The user can show up to app.shadeprotocol.io and you're going to have you know, 7, 10, 15, 20, like a decade from now, who knows how many apps are going to be part of the Shape Protocol ecosystem. And it's all completely cohesive. It's all unified. Um, it'd be like, imagine if, if Uniswap and MakerDAO were you know, on the same exact team, right? What would that do for the user stories? So at the end of the day, we're simplifying UI, UI, UX, and we're increasing the sustainability of the protocol because we're, we're essentially conglomerating all of it together into, into one simple experience. Fantastic. I think that's, a, that's an excellent answer. Um, I think you pinpoint a lot of things there. Uh, and one as well, which I'm not sure if it, was, if it was touched on as much before, is the UI UX, which is obviously something we see time and time again in this space, really in, in any emerging space, right? But especially in something that's obviously entirely digitally focused. It is so critical for that to be smooth. Um, and just very clear to the end user. So thank you so much for that info. I think that's really, really helpful to hear. I did bring up um, a audience listener, Kevin V. Thank you so much for coming on up. Um, if you had a question for the team, would, would love to hear it. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I just want to make sure you guys can hear me. Yeah, loud and clear. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so this is actually officially one of the first times I'll jump into any discussion or forum, and that's awesome. Thanks for just letting people well, come up and absolutely yeah. fantastic yeah yeah that's that's amazing um just getting straight to the point um i think it's super important um that the public and pretty much anybody for that matter investors anybody looking to get into blockchain or just learning like myself um but being in tech for like at least a decade and a half at this point um it is to know and have insight into how shade and any other company for that matter is approaching cybersecurity, um and then also um, in the wake of like FTX and, you know, over the past decade, we've seen many, many places that were considered, uh, as they say, too big to fail in business. Um, but then they just crumble to the ashes. And on top of everything, seeing that internal practices or regulatory practices were missing or just, um, you know, this is an unregulated space. Um, but it's just important for everybody to know how that's being approached. And it's never talked about. So it's less of a question, more of a comment, um, but you guys are bringing up some amazing uh, new ways um, and workflows. So hearing that, you know, it's just would be great to hear about the, the intricacies. Yeah, absolutely. So first off, 100% agree that, that, that there's like two concepts I think you brought up. One of them is security of, of protocols. Like how as a user, do you know that this, this platform is, is safe, right? That's, that's priority number one. Clearly, we've seen that go south before, right? You have the FTXs of the world where um, it's not that it was, it was hacked, it was that the counterparties behind it were, were, were fraudulent, right? The, the answer to a human counterparty being fraudulent is to use a smart contract, right? Smart contracts, programmatic. If we have open source code, we can have communities of people look at it, verify that, hey, these smart contracts are, are being a fair counterparty. They're a perfectly neutral, fair uh, counterparty with, with how they're supposed to interact with, with users. Um, but I'll specifically comment on the cyber the cybersecurity one. Um, for, for Shade Protocol, we have multiple, multiple teams working on different products. And so we have two different types of audits. We have a rotating internal audit system. And then we also have our external auditors. And we're going to be adding on a third, which is a like intensive bug bounty open to anyone program that will be instantiating super, super soon. We'll be getting that rolled out, which would be great. 
but yeah, the I think that's those are our, our three big pieces on the smart contracts themselves. It's a very rigorous and intensive process. And a lot of that is finding good auditors and even challenging your auditors and having external teams have a reason to make sure that the products are as safe as possible. So I think continuous audits over time, I don't think I don't think protocols should think of like, oh, I audited a product. Now I can like never have it audited again. I think you need to have rolling continuous audits um, over the course of time. There should never be a moment where you're not focused on on security. So there's a balance there. The balance typically for young projects is cost, right? Auditors in this space are very expensive. Not everyone has access to 20 plus person teams where they can have uh, rotating audits. So I think there is a bit of like um, the startup garage idea where people are just coding as fast as they can and trying to get product market fit. And the process of doing that, they didn't really have the capital or the time in their minds to slow down and focus on security. Um, but there's a, there's a quote we have circulating internally that when you launch a product, it's the, equiv- it's, a, it's, it's the equivalent of a financial nuke, right? Like that's the level of levity here. You mess up and there are people that have put their blood, sweat, and tears and labor into trusting these smart contracts. So we have a very, very high standard internally on the smart contract auditing front. The second piece then is permissioning. So for us, we have a rollout of, of governance coming. And so we are, we are at our most high risk moment right now because we haven't fully transitioned into on-chain governance. That freaks me out. That's not ideal. But we are hoping to get that transition fully over to on-chain as, as soon as possible. But we're always happy to be transparent with the community about those, those current risks, Kevin. So hopefully that's a, a sufficient answer for you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Uh, looking forward to seeing more from you guys um, in the very near future. Awesome. Thanks, Kevin. And thank you, Carter, for the answer and the transparency and explanation. Uh, brought up another audience member, Casey. Great to have you up here. Uh, if you have a question for the team, we'd love to hear it. Hello, good evening. Yep. Uh, my name is Kazim. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm joining from Nigeria. Uh, I just got the notification for the program. Um, I'm sorry for logging in late. I, I think I will need more, uh, more information about the the program. Maybe after when you are done, um, a little bit. Cool. We'll 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 come back to you. Um, sounds like you just maybe jumped up here or just joined the space. Um, I'm just going to put you down as an audience member. And then when we come back to questions at the end, if you do have a question for the team, uh, we'll, we'll bring you back up for sure. No problem at all. Yeah. And Fisco, uh, if you want to message Casey, some links to our website and our documentation too, that might be helpful. If you want to ping him those on Twitter. That'd be fantastic. Thank you both. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Awesome. Well, that was a, Excellent little intermission. Love the question from Kevin. Thank you so much for that. Um, looks like we have one more request uh, from JPC. Let's we'll bring you up JPC and then we'll we'll, we'll jump back to it. I'm going to bring you up right now. JPC dot ESQ, perhaps Esquire. Um, great to have you up here. If you had a question for the team, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me and uh, good guests on the Esquire. <laughs> Um, <laughs> there we go. The new that's the, that's going to be the new domain. <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day. Um, right. Carter, thank you. Uh, thanks so much for for taking the time to share. Um, I, you brought up a great point, and specifically with respect to how you know many people won't want uh, Debbie, you know, the cashier from the grocery store knowing how much Bitcoin, you know, you or, or, you know, a member of your family has in your wallet. Um, well, at the same time, you know, I've been under the impression or, or my thought process is, is that advertisers and marketing uh, can use blockchain technology to track individuals and to, to see their behavior, which would also provide a level of privacy to uh, the wallet holders. So, for example, rather than sharing, you know, my email address and phone number and and other identifying information, uh, you know, the 
provider or excuse me, the advertising agency or marketer or the company would only be able to see my blockchain address. Um, with respect to Silk and the Shade Protocol, do you foresee a blend of that happening in the future, or uh, or do you foresee you know you can have one but not the other? Um, I'm just interested in hearing your thoughts on that, if you don't mind sharing. Absolutely, JPC. That's a that's a wonderful question, and and it's my favorite kind of question because it it boils down to an attribute, and that attribute is sovereignty, right? The key piece of the puzzle is that users need to have control over their own data and what gets shared. And so the model you just you know, described is essentially self, self-doxing where you're you know, offering up, hey, here's my, here's my wallet address, right? Now you can track me on chain and we can do something interesting with it. Maybe I, maybe I get a kickback of some sort because I'm providing that information, but the key, Part of that equation is, is sovereignty and control. The, I, I guess the part that I have a problem with is that totally transparent blockchains, you don't have a choice. You are completely transparent by default. That's, that's not sovereignty. That's, that's a desert. You can't dig a hole. There's nowhere to hide. That's a panopticon. That's, that's, that's dangerous, in my opinion, from a, from a security standpoint and a sovereignty standpoint. So what I, what I believe will emerge and the only type of late game that I can envision for Web3 to be completely adopted is, to your point, a spectrum. But the spectrum is ultimately tied to sovereignty. So we start private by default, and then there is a granular ability for a user to say, yep, I want to give this app that permission and only X amount of like, access to my data. Maybe I only want to give them access to a specific type of data, right? And so. If you build the privacy tools that have a path to be transparent, we unlock the full spectrum. But you have to start from a place of privacy as opposed to a place of transparency because tech stack wise, like when you're totally transparent and you try to become private, it's like pushing out toothpaste from like a toothpaste bottle and then trying to put it back inside, right? It's, it's like once, once you're public, it's really hard to go back for, for your data and your, and your, and your identity. So in summary, we need the spectrum, we need the granularity, and sovereignty is the key part of that equation. Fantastic. Awesome. JPC, thank you so much for the question. That was, that was great. Carter, thank you so much for the answer. And look at that. You asked Carter his favorite question. So I don't know. You, you should probably win something. <laughs> um, fantastic, though. You know, <clears throat> that, that question, I think, actually transitions well into what I wanted to bring up next. So for anyone who's just joining in now or just joined in a couple moments ago, we're talking here with Shade Protocol. We have Fisco and Carter from the team up here. And if you want to get even a bit more info, we're about to dive in even more. But if you click through the pin tweet at the top, it'll take you to their page and you'll be able to get a lot more information on them. You could check out their documents, their, their website as well. But moving on here again, JC, JPC, thank you so much. And again, uh, to the other audience members that came up, thank you. We're going to take some more questions at the end if we have time. So if you do have questions, still think on them, you could request to come up. And, and if we have time at the end, love to bring some more people on stage. But what I was getting to just now is a point that, you know, what we're talking about, some problems in Web3. What are some solutions? What is Shade Protocol doing to provide means to that. And we're also talking about scaling Web3. So, and we're talking about privacy, of course. What I want to know, Carter, is why is it important that privacy is part of that equation as it relates to scaling Web3? What is, what is it about the privacy aspect of these transactions that's going to scale web three to retail to larger enterprise uh to more daily individual consumers perhaps yeah it's it's a really interesting question so the way i think about it is we don't get so scalability implies that you need improved throughput and performance to handle the stress and strain on, on the network or the blockchain, right? Like that is, that is the, the end goal and purpose of scalability. And 
the better performance you can provide, the more likely you're to attract people that are about to put on an increased amount of usage on the underlying protocol or network. But where privacy comes into that equation, in my opinion, is there are institutions and businesses and consumers that won't put that load on the network until they know that they have the guarantees and security that privacy provides. If I'm a a pension fund, right? And I want to put an insane amount of capital into Web3. There's an immense amount of risk to having their financial positions be available for everyone to see, right? So there might there might be alternative answers to this tied to like ZK, ZK Snarks. There might there might be some privacy tech solutions that are directly integrated into scalability. But I'll com- I'll be completely trans- transparent. And say I don't have subject ma- matter expertise on that crossroad. But what I, what I do know is that there are institutions and players that won't enter the game until we have privacy. And so a lot of the scalability problems that we're trying to solve for, it's, it's, it's like um, improving the foundation for a bridge when no one's going to cross it in the first place. Like we're worried about making sure the bridge can hold as much weight as possible. But if no one's crossing the bridge because there isn't privacy, then why are we trying to solve the scalability problem, right? Which the best answer here is we should be doing all of it in parallel, but that, that's kind of my, my specific perspective on the crossroads of privacy and scalability. I think that's, I think that's really interesting. And I think, I think it makes sense. Um, it also, to me, makes sense when you're discussing the points of, you know, there are these larger entities, enterprises, perhaps individuals who want to come in, who want to be part of this ecosystem. However, they require the discretion. They require privacy within their interactions, within their exchanges. So it really makes sense hearing it from that side along, or I should say really in addition to an everyday consumer. I think that the we had discussed it earlier, but the grocery store example, I think is, is a really great example too. And maybe something that's re- relatable to a lot of us in the audience here. You know, and maybe it's something we take for granted, you know, going to the grocery store now and that data isn't revealed when you pay with a credit card or debit card, for example, the, your entire account balance and, and all of your previous transactions in different places. So I think I think that's really interesting to hear. Um, and I want to push that a little bit now because yeah, I, I kind of want to jump in real quick and like comment yeah. on the fact that it's like really convenient well when you know 95 percent of blockchains are totally transparent like don't even have any sort of privacy tooling right and it's like super convenient for the industry not to address it because it's 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 a it's a glaring issue and so there's kind of a collective culture around not acting like privacy is utility not acting like privacy is 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 key to onboarding like it's it's all these other things, but it's not privacy. Like I, I've kind of I've kind of seen that in prevailing large L1s. And of course, like there's well-intentioned engineers and thought leaders in those ecosystems that will still say, like, oh, privacy is important. But at the end of the day, it's not a great look for our all these massive players to focus on what's glaringly missing from their tech stack. But in my opinion, that's 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 the very reason why we haven't we haven't been you know perfectly adopted. And, and the other other side of this you might want to that we might dive into then is of course the crossroads between privacy and regulation. That's its own unique, unique challenge that I think secret network is, is also well positioned to handle. Absolutely. I think, you know, we can, we can definitely dive into that there because I think um, that's a really important point. Um, And then maybe we can, we could go off to some other questions there too, but let's, let's talk a little bit about regulation, you know, Obviously, with so much that's happened over the past five, six months, really things that have been happening in crypto from the start, um, you know, this this overlying, you know, want from the government or any, you know, central entity to have regulation be a part of this process, have that transparency. Where does Shade fit in to this regulation ecosystem uh, situation, let's say, but maybe even on a broader sense? How do private blockchains fit in to the regulation landscape? That's, I guess that's really the best way to describe it. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think one of the, the key component of any privacy network is what tools are you giving users for them to have the, the sovereignty and ability to share their private transactions with some counterparty, right? So Shape Protocol built on Secret Network is really uniquely positioned because there's something called viewing keys. There's viewing keys and permits. And they're essentially two different tools that allow users to view encrypted encrypted data tied to all these different applications and blockchain usage. And as a result of that, as, as the tooling improves and, and we're getting there, you can actually share those viewing keys with other people. You could share it with an auditor. You could share it with a, a government if, if need be. And so I think that step one is build the tooling. And then I think step two is building out platforms that bridge KYC AML to that type of uh, viewing key and, and sovereignty. So your users can optionally sign up for a platform where they say, yep, my name's, you know, my name's Carter, my name's Wetzel, this is my address, this is my viewing key. And then when they're on chain though, when they're registered through that platform, when they're on chain, 99.9% .9 of the world still doesn't see what they're doing, right? They still have that on-chain privacy, but then when an auditor comes to that KYC platform and says, hey, I need to audit Carter, they have the ability to have the viewing key, view the data, and still be compliant. So I think that's step two. Step one is the tools. Step two is when you start bridging KYC to those tools. And I think most privacy protocols haven't even done step one. And I don't even think we've really ever seen step two in a meaningful way. So part of Shape Protocol's journey is improving where we're at with step one and one day making the leap to step two in terms of having a framework or the optionality for users to integrate into that type of compliance system. And I love the word you use, Carter, and thank you for that explanation. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sovereignty, right? I think that's really what it comes down to. It's, it, correct me if I'm wrong, it would be the user's choice. Like you said, 99.9% yep. .9 of the time, your transaction history and data out on the web and on the blockchain would be private. But when you need to share that with your local government official for whatever reason, whatever it is, that's where you do have that ability, you have that power. Right now, there is no choice. It's just out there. Uh, the toothpaste is is out of the bottle, as you said. That's a, that's a perfect way to describe it. Um, that's I think I think that's that makes a lot of sense because when you think about privacy within this setting, you may think that it actually would go against what regulators would want to see because of it being private. But perhaps even if you give individuals the power to, you know, disclose their information at will to specific entities or when it's needed, maybe that even actually. In, motivates people or enforces it. So that's it's a really interesting route there. I, I can tell you had the aha moment because that description you gave was beautiful. So I'm over here like this. <laughs> yes, he got it. He gets it. And <laughs> once that paradigm shift happened and you hear people like bring up privacy and kind of shrug it off, it's like, no, 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 no. Like, like regulators, they're, and I'll say this, regulators don't, they, they don't follow this mandate as well as they should. but. A, a healthy and well-intentioned regulator's goal is to protect consumers and privacy is absolutely a protection and a security that is required. We have it, we have a degree of it in our existing financial system, like we were talking about with the, with the cashier example. Mm -hmm. All we're trying to do is bring parity to that system while returning even more of the sovereignty back to the user. And it's, it's just, it's such an important mission. And anyways, I just want to comment. It's exciting to, I could hear it. I could hear in your voice. I'm like, he gets it. And then there's no going back once you understand it. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. No, you're, you're, you're completely right. Um, I think, you know, and really, as I was like preparing for this event today, it, it was all really clicking for me. I think this, this point on regulation really even does it even more. So it's, it's just really interesting to, to learn and talk through now. I want to play a little devil's advocate here because maybe some people are thinking this too, but I think it's an important question and, and I'm excited to hear you know, what you think. So just kind of broadly, does do private blockchains or, or just this private side of Web3 
is that going to take away the ability to root out bad actors? Ooh, that's, that's a really interesting question. So the interesting part, though, is when your smart contracts have the granularity to be private or transparent, your smart contracts can reveal public good data, right? You could be able to query a smart contract and it still can tell everyone in the world, here's the current circulating supply, right? Here's the current loan to value ratio. You can have these macro statistics that give everyone the peace of mind of knowing, even though I can't see all the individual pieces, like I know that these macro statistics are publicly transparent on the smart contract. So I think that that helps to your point, privacy, private, like when you're, when you're building on privacy, there, there is a bigger leap of faith, right? So well, it's always a trade-off, right? What is the trade-off of privacy? The trade-off is, of course, that totally public immutable transparency that is the current existing paradigm. And so I think, I think there's going to be a spectrum. I, obviously, I'm, I'm biased towards the spectrum being much heavier towards like some hybrid between privacy for individuals, but transparency for public goods. That feels really good to me. That, for me, that's my, my brain's like, yes, that feels right as like the end game. Transparency for public goods and important macro statistic pieces tied to any protocol, but privacy for individuals. That feels right to me. But I'm sure there'll be individuals that love the complete total immutability of total transparency. And they'll say, I'm only comfortable operating with smart contracts around a blockchain that has that. And then there'll be another subset that's a little closer to having more privacy and a little more privacy and a little more privacy. So it'll be a full spectrum. I just, I foresee a massive shift in our industry over the course of the next decade towards granularity in favor of privacy. Got it. I think, I think that's, that's honestly a, a fantastic point there. Um, and also, you know, it comes down, like you said, people can build on these private protocols, let's say, but I also just, my head also thinks back to the idea of sovereignty that, you know, that that data is there, so it could be shared. Um, and you know, there's 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 traces of it within that. But really appreciate the answers there. I think it's an important question. Want to just give a heads up to everyone here that we are getting close to time. I want to make sure we have um, maybe a couple moments here for some audience questions too. Um, so if you do have a question for the team, we'd love to hear it. I know we're wrapping up here. Looks like we have one request here. Um, and I'll bring you up on stage. And if you have a question for the team, we'd love to hear it. All right, they may have jumped. All good. <laughs> but listen, well, if if anyone if anyone else from the audience is having questions for the team, we we'd love to hear anything you have. Uh, feel free to request to come up on stage. You can also drop it in the thread to this space. But before we get to some closing statements from the team and, and from you all, I did want to just bring this quote um, that was in your, your documents prior for Shade Protocol, which I think is really, really interesting. Um, my uh, teammate, Danielle, pulled this one out, which is really cool. I'll read it. Truly decentralized money cannot claim to be decentralized while it's simultaneously pegged to a centralized monetary system. Can you expand on that a little bit? Absolutely. So, A, it's probably one of my favorite quotes. So that, that's, it's fantastic. That, I, that, that, that one came to me when I was, it's a really good one. So essentially what that says is, like, I think right now the industry is doing it, doing it right on like the L1 tokens, app tokens, right? Like those are, they're, they're decentralized. They're not really pegged to anything. It's just the free market determining their value. But what that quote is specifically is, is targeted at is the stablecoin liquidity, right? It's like 80 billion in stablecoin liquidity in Web3. We got all this, all these dollar pegged stablecoins, like kind of meshly integrated with Web3. And I personally see that as massive counterparty risk that like it's stuff like USTC and Tether, like that is a human counterparty. If there's one thing we learned from FTX that, that these, gilded centralized you know banks or crypto exchanges that look awesome 
and have all the, all the strong branding, everything on the surface that tells you they're great. But at the end of the day, those are opaque systems that are trusting a human counterparty. And like, so, so on the stablecoin front, I feel, I feel like we're, we're repeating it, right? We're, we're, we're kind of remaking the same mistake when what we should really aspire to is solving the liquidity problem, not via demand for centralized stablecoins, but demand for decentralized stablecoins. And beyond that, not just decentralized stablecoins, but decentralized stablecoins that aren't pegged to one country. Imagine if, let's say, 90% of DeFi liquidity in the next bull run is US dollar stablecoins, right? What happens if the US suffers a massive you know, economic collapse and most of the other countries at large aren't as impacted, right? Run with me through the scenario. There'll be people shaking their heads at that. But long and short, DeFi would be massively impacted because all of our liquidity is just tied to the success of the US dollar as opposed to being pegged to the success of the entire you know, monetary system of, of humanity, right? We should aspire to have a stable asset that re- represents all of the com- an aggregate of all the commodities, all the different global countries, and we've essentially Americanized DeFi, which has its benefits, but we have these decentralized stablecoins going around with Frax and DAI and, and many others that have emerged, but their entire future and their entire fate is still tied to the US economy and a set of counterparties that are determining like interest rates, right? So I, I just find the cognitive dissonance to be really, really deep there. And I understand that it's a spectrum, that there's advantages to that U.S. dollar liquidity. I just think as builders, we should aspire to build a new monetary system that is like reduces risk and aggregates risk, right? And I think that's where Silk is really uniquely differentiated in position because it's not pegged to the dollar. It's pegged to a basket of global currencies and commodities. And I, I can't think of a more innovative, stable asset. Truly. Truly, it's. It, I mean, the the scenario that you you paint, I think, is you know, unfortunately, um, something that's that's possible, right? And not even just in theory, but at looking at the existing economic landscape. So, I think what you're saying is really important, and the ethos of it, I think a lot of people would agree with too. Especially coming off, of course, all of these central entity collapses that we've seen from an exchange standpoint um, over the past months or so. So I think it actually would resonate more than ever. Um, Looks like we have uh, another request from the audience here. And we got got Kevin V back too, but it looks like we have Anigo. I'm going to bring you up on stage, Anigo, and we'd love to hear your question for the team. Hey, guys, can you hear me? We got you. All right. Yeah, Carter, really well said. I I really enjoyed your your thoughts and going on that I would like to just expand a little bit at a higher level. What do you think of maybe using validator nodes as a backing for a decentralized stablecoin? That would make it independent of like pretty Web three native or like it, it would only rely on that that blockchain and wouldn't have any external dependencies. Interesting. So I guess my, my question would be there is what's the what's the asset backing the stablecoin? Because every every stablecoin represents a liability, right? Liability in the sense that it needs to be redeemable for a corresponding value, or it needs to be able to be sold somewhere on some secondary market for the, the its promised value. So what is the asset backing within that idea that you came up with? Yeah, I was thinking to to make it an NFT. So each validator node would would be represented as an NFT, like a bond in the traditional market in that sense that would have this this yield of the staking and the the wallet it would be referenced to is the, the one holding the, the NFT. You rely on staking as a service companies, but it could be something that to consider that's how i was thinking interesting i would i would encourage you to to model it and explore the idea it's also it's always whenever you have an idea like that like sleep on it 
and and bat and battle with it, grapple with it. Who knows where that will lead? It's a cool idea. Nice, appreciate it. And yeah, keep up the good work. We're we're all fighting the good fight. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Nico. Great question. Love to hear it, um, folks. We are unfortunately approaching time here, and I just want to make sure we can we can at least get some closing thoughts from our panel again really appreciate everyone who came up on stage today and asked some questions for the team and appreciate everyone coming out um i'm going to kick it over to you carter fisco if you have anything to add as well but what i'd love to to hear carter just in one you know any closing thoughts um you have for our audience here about shade in general also well i'll bring this towards the end but i'd also love to hear you know what are you excited for in d5 for 2023 Absolutely. So I'll I'll start with what I'm excited for, and then I'll kind of give a, a closing statement about what Sheep Circle is, what we intend to do, and, and how you can how you can join us. So what I'm excited for in in, in 2023, uh, specifically in the like I'm very excited for the Cosmos ecosystem. I don't know how many people in this Twitter space are aware of Cosmos, the Internet of Blockchains. Essentially, everyone has this shared software development kit. And so it's really easy to spin up a blockchain, have it talk to another blockchain, tweak the blockchain to your need, launch smart contracts on top of those blockchains. And there's a massive like sprint and momentum happening with, with the builders in Cosmos. And Shape Protocol built on top of Seeker Network, which is part of the Cosmos, like we're part of that momentum. And so I'm really excited to see interoperability between all these blockchains in the Cosmos ecosystem extend out beyond just the cosmos, but to other blockchains. You know, maybe it'll be the Ethereum's of the world, the Solana's, the Avalanche's. I think that's going to be huge in 2023 as seeing the bridging infrastructure across all of Web3 continue to improve, continue to unlock liquidity, continue to unlock user stories. Um, besides that, I'm, I'm very excited for um, staking derivatives to really start to, to, to shine in the limelight. I think that the Ethereum community is, is about to have its own little mini renaissance tied to understanding staking derivatives and, and the importance of them. And I think Cosmos is actually ahead of the curve on it because we're a whole set of proof of stake chains that have, that have staking from day one and have staking derivatives emerging within its own DeFi economy. So I'm pumped to see how staking derivatives integrate into Shade Protocol, Shade Swap, Shade Lending, all those, all those great things, right? So that's, that's what I'm excited for. Interoperability, staking derivatives. In terms of kind of a closing statement, if you believe that privacy is the key to unlocking the full value of a decentralized future, if, if you believe that privacy is, is utility, it's valuable, if you believe that you want to participate in a, in a set of products that protects your right to privacy, gives you sovereignty over your data and your finances, if you want to be able to participate in game-changing DeFi products, a whole suite of them with a beautiful UI UX, then I would invite you, check out shapeprotocol.io. Be sure to follow the Shape Protocol Twitter. Join the community, ask questions, get involved. Your voice matters. And our, our big tagline in 2023 um, is user-driven iteration. Like we are here to ultimately make a product that delights the users, a product that will have a global impact. And the only way we can do that is with everyday people giving their feedback, challenging the economic models, right? And I would, I would invite you to come and join us as we roll out Silk, Shade Swap, Shade Lend all in the next two months. We've already launched many products in 2022. And 2023 is really the tipping point. And we'd invite you to join us. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Carter. Excellent outro there. And again, just to, to echo what you're saying, if you want to learn more about Shade and get involved, they do have a Discord. You follow them on Twitter, check out their website. There's a lot of helpful resources there to learn more and become part of the community and start and start building with Shade. So again, thank you so much to Fisco and Carter. Thank you so much for being here. Fantastic space. Learned a ton. Got some amazing audience questions. Thank you everyone in the audience for joining us today. I hope it was a, a great hour of your time. Um, we're, we also recorded this. So you could go back and listen to anything you may have missed. Um, in, in the meantime, I hope everyone has a great rest of their morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you may be listening in from. Um, and until next time, we'll be back here with another space.
Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. And as we like to say, uh, plenty of room in the shade. There you go. <laughs> All righty. Take care. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was Private Blockchains and Achieving Mass Adoption, hosted by Cointelegraph, featuring Shade Protocol. Recorded on Thursday, January 12th, 2023. For Terraspaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. If you want to keep listening, head on over to terraspaces.org slash donate and show some support. Now with Spark IBC enabled. Sneaking through back alleys on a little cosplay. Broadway all day, looking like the wrong way. Resuscitating major players in the waiting room. Sifting through the paperwork while I be debating fools. Breaking rules, breaking bad, like we always wait for doom. Slayed a few in my early years, often hit the shroom. Sitting in the dark, waiting for the daily news to let us know what we should believe as the latest truth. Stay aloof, writing rhymes in the studio. Trying to keep it well lit, like filming a movie role. Sorting through support from your endorsements, of course. We're tripping balls, handed reports it. The latest proof ain't a way to move, change the view Just a bunch of pack of heads living in a chicken coop Picking at the dinner, finger licking like the plate is good So kick it for a minute, then show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Big thinking energy always gets the best of me When I kick it in the lab, messing with new recipes Gotta mix and match, flip the lash, letting rhythm scratch No shit, spitting facts with my vision smashed Big trip aristocrats, dishing out a list of trash Missing wisdom, this fish is too big to catch Better let the missus know where you hit the stash Watch your next step, bro, before you hit the traps Walking on eggshells, tripping over landmines And I'm about done dealing with these damn lies Man, I'm looking at this planet like a franchise Chastising to digging holes in the back nine the latest proof ain't a way to move, change the view Just a bunch of peck of heads living in a chicken coop Picking at the dinner finger, licking like the plate is good So kick it for a minute, then show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Spaces.